voice of authority on interpersonal communication and all its forms. He is the author of several books, most notably probably the Prepared to Answer series put out by Northwestern Publishing House, and he's a very, very respected professor up at Martin Luther College. So I cannot wait for you to hear what he has to say, and I'm so excited to learn from him and share my conversation with him. It's truly, I think, a fascinating one. So with no further ado, cue the music and let's get rolling. Hello and welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. The call to gird up is an ancient way of telling a man to prepare himself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers, brothers in Christ, working hard to become the men that God has called us to be. I am your host, Charlie Ungemach. I'm a teacher, a coach, music director, and a man of God, myself working toward the goal of, like David, being a man after God's own heart. We're happy you could join us. Now it's time to roll up our sleeves, to gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. All right, welcome back to the podcast. We got a very, very special guest, a man I respect a ton. Uh, one of my professors from college up at Martin Luther College in Wall, Minnesota. We have Professor Dr. Mark Paustian. What do you What do you go by? <laughs> Depends on who I'm with, Charlie. Okay. Uh, you can call me Mark. Um, <laughs> I haven't right. embraced the doctor title actually. I, professor is the typical thing. Okay. So you go by Professor Paustian? Sure. Sure. All right. Awesome. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little about yourself? Uh, get a little background on who you are and what you do. Um, who I am and what do I do? Where do I begin? <laughs> Not there. <laughs> Sorry about that, Charlie. All right. Wow. Is that good for you? It's good for me. All yeah. right. Go ahead. Um, well, I'm a professor at Martin Luther College. Um, I was trained as a pastor. I was trained as a pastor, and I first served uh, 12 and a half years as a home mission pastor, um, starting a church from scratch and then building a sanctuary. And then I've been at the college since 2000. Um, I brought a course in interpersonal communication, which is probably sort of my main um, focus in Bailiwick, yeah. but uh, I also teach um, Biblical Hebrew, and I'm dabbling now currently in teaching Christian apologetics and uh, introduction to preaching for our pastor track men. So that is my little life. I have a, a wife who I see every day. She's at the reception desk. Awesome. We have a date for morning chapel every day. <laughs> I've got one daughter I'm watching uh, at college. She is a, a junior. And another daughter is beginning grad school studying epidemiology in, up in Minneapolis. Very cool. So, yeah. So you did uh, home missions. Where, where was that? I was in Rockford, Illinois. Rockford, Illinois. And so what does that look like when you're, when you're starting a church like that? Well, um, I moved into a little townhouse apartment. I had a pink pony neon sign flashing outside my window. <laughs> I didn't know a soul. Were you single at the time? I was as single as they can possibly <laughs> be. <laughs> I was. I am also um, off the charts introverted. I'm very, very quiet. Um, computers can't really measure me. They <laughs> they start to smoke and the sprockets fly out. When okay. They try to. <laughs> so, what does it look like to be sent to a big city and 
not knowing a soul and um job one is to go knock on our doors a couple few thousand times and gather a nucleus of people and look for a place to have church it's kind of like uh, i mean it was all richly blessed richly richly blessed in spite of myself but uh it's like how long can an introvert pretend to be extroverted you know there was <laughs> there was an ex- there was an exhausting quality to that work i'd uh, have to say but yeah very very formative for me personally Okay. Yeah. So do you, like, where do you start? Do you start just by knocking on doors or do you find a building first or what do you do? Um, you start by meeting community leaders of various kinds. I interviewed pastors in the area just to kind of get a sense of how people were being served, how they weren't being served. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of things are happening at once. You do start to have an eye to where property might be someday, but that's way down the road. Yeah. You you pick a name for your church. You start to design business cards and logos and just everything you can imagine is what you do uh but then eventually you just start beating the pavement yeah yeah awesome uh so what how so do you like meet in your living room then when when people start getting together and yeah i mean i suppose phase two after just knocking on as many doors as i could stand was uh gathering 15 20 people together in bible studies in various people's homes and um starting to starting to teach what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a Lutheran. So very refreshing experience. I mean, to be around that many people for whom Christ is so new, it was, you know, those people just bring a breath of fresh air into our into our church. And yeah. so, yeah, a very exciting, very essential, but uh, profoundly challenging ministry for me personally as well. Cool. Uh, so in relation to that, have you are you familiar with the home church movement at all? Familiar with it at all? Um, vaguely. Or yeah. I so there's a there's a guy Dale Partridge, uh, who's kind of he he he's the one that I've seen his name out there the most. But like they're I can't relearn church I think is what it is. But essentially, um, leaving the big church setting of the um, institutional church mm-hmm. and getting back into their homes. And what they're what they say they're trying to do is, um. I guess it's kind of a loaded statement, but what what they're trying to do is get back to the model of the early Christian church is what the idea is. Um, so it's more like you're in each other's lives, mm-hmm. like on a weekly basis, you're in each other's homes, you're in each other's lives and you're meeting on that level. Um, and part of the argument for that is that, you know, when I guess Paul talks about, like, I don't follow Peter, I don't follow Apollos, I don't, I follow Christ. Um, when, and they have, they definitely have, a point to make there. I don't know if that's the point that Paul's trying to make, but what do you, what do you think about that idea? Having been in a, a setting, it sounds like where, where you are meeting in homes and stuff. What? Yeah. I, I think in my time as a missionary, I, I developed more of a call it kind of a double vision for the church. I always felt like that was maybe half the vision is that we would be in our homes in context where, uh, so to speak, the chairs are turned toward each other, yeah. and we are, you know, in a very unscripted way, we are taking up the the commands of Scripture to confess to each other, honor each other, carry each other's burdens, all those things. That was, and I felt like somebody who was part of my family of faith needs to be part of a group like that, um, where the Word of God is the focus. But then the other part of the vision was, so to speak, having the chairs all face one direction and. So the the Lutheran worship, the corporate worship piece being really even more predominant than that. 
But yeah. so you want to be part of this fellowship. I'd like to see you in worship, you know, yeah. setting yourself under the means of grace um, in that orientation. But then also definitely plugged into some smaller group where we can become deeply involved with each other's lives and, yeah. and in the context of the word of God. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I I always get concerned that you throw the baby out with the bathwater when you start going that direction. Where you, there are so many benefits to a traditional church setting, even if it's not like the the truly like traditional as we think, you know, big organ and mm-hmm. and all that. There is definitely something to a congregation that meets together a large group. Mm-hmm. And I get worried that you throw the throw all the benefits of that away when you decide you're just going to meet in the home. That's what I worry about too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And even just accountability. Mm-hmm. Cool. Uh, so after you, so you planted a church, um, found great success by what I hear. Um, <laughs> really enjoyed that. So uh, you, you talked about how you're very, very introverted. So um, how does an introverted, very introverted man serve a, a, a congregation, a growing congregation like that as a pastor? Yeah, I, it's a really good place to to start. I, for me, being introverted, being quiet is is very, very much a defining characteristic. And you know, in our culture, it's it's difficult not to grow up as a quiet person, feeling feeling deficient, feeling like there is this this missing piece, you know, and watching other people communicate and seeing the effortlessness of that. And so, I think anybody in our culture who is quiet probably has a similar story of coming to terms with that. But, mm-hmm. but when you do, when you uh, sort of give up the grumble about how God has made you, you know, you understand that there, there's a profound contribution in quietness as well. So, um, typically, you know, quiet people can actually be quite mesmerizing in front of people. They can, yeah. and, um, partly because of the way they prepare, the way they think through their words, and even as a leadership style, there's a there's a gift in introversion in the style of leader who closes the office door and steps back and and contemplates and is thoughtful and takes time. So, um, as a social style, I think that what what sort of took me past just kind of coping with quiet quietness into thriving is you you develop a style of becoming profoundly interested in other people and um you sort of give up give up the goal of impressing people and the new goal becomes connecting with people and the new goal becomes honoring people and making them feel legitimately truly important to you by the fascination you have with who they are and where they come from and you you find out that there is a there's a marvelous fit between quietness and ministry. Um, it takes some people, some of us, a while to find that and to realize how true it is. And of course, there are other things we need to be careful about with our temperament, mm-hmm. but I think anybody does. A, a person yeah. whose words come really easily has to think about pausing and leaving space for the other person. But so I, you know, it's funny you bring this up because it is one of my main passions. I, when my course in communication, um, for a while, it was a flipped course, which meant that I produced videos and students watched videos online. And then, mm-hmm. then we came to class to have more time for, you know, discussions and activities. But anyway, just saying about this much about introversion, a young man came to me and 
said, Professor Palestine, I got halfway through your video and I had to I had to turn off the video and just I sat there and wept because he had never heard anybody speaking before in terms of the contribution of quietness, the the different way that quiet people access their gifts and uh, the certain pressures that they have grown up with people forever apologizing for them, not speaking, and that kind of thing. It just it puts in a person's head, potentially from really early on, that you know there's two kind of kids and you're the wrong kind. And so that that sense of deficiency is, I think that exists in a lot of people. And so I I enjoy being kind of a bit of an evangelist on this yeah. question. There is a there's a contribution. There's a gift. There's a you're not in this world to become extroverted. You're here to be who God has made you, and so on. Yeah. So, uh, and you talked a little bit about how people are fascinating. Um, so, like, how do you get to know people like that? Like, um, just like, just how? Where do you start? <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> you, where do you start? So, if you if you if you want to start building those relationships and you want to start seeing people that way, like. If I want to go out and get better at building relationships with people, like I want to learn to see people that way, just as a fascinating being that I just I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know what's inside. Like I can't learn enough about you. How do you go about that? Well, I I tend to think this is exactly what you're doing with your podcast, Charlie. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you said yourself that how to interview people is there's sort of an art to it, and it's. You know, there's a learning curve there. I I think a lot of it to me is just the power of the open question. And, you know, it takes some wisdom to ask the right question at the right time that that unlocks the secret to somebody or unlocks what their story is. Um, but I, th- I think it probably is active listening skills built on built on sort of an ethos that just says... Um, I want to come to a more complex view of this person I, that knows instinctively that there are layers. And especially, for example, the quiet person, that there is more going on than you realize if you don't figure out what question to ask um, and then close your mouth a while. You're never going to get that story. <laughs> but when it starts to unfold, it's, you know, it's, it's golden. And, and I, the phrase I like is, a person becomes a person before your very eyes. You know, uh-huh. um, so yeah, I think it's just the art and aptitude of listening built on sort of nurturing that fascination. Hey, how do you how do you start that conversation? Because like I I I find myself like if it's a guy like doing the nod, you know, like you know, <laughs> and then uh, like if, if it's a girl, like I'll do like the smile and wave thing, you know. I just I, I how do you? I just end up like racked with fear when I'm trying to <laughs> interact with someone. Like when it's a, on a professional level, it's like, all right, I need to go to this. Let's go do this. There's no pressure because like we need to have this conversation. If I don't have this conversation, like the, the consequences of not having this conversation far outweigh the benefits. So then like I can do that. But like when just personal life, when it's just somebody, even if it's like there's no motive attached to it beyond, I just want to connect with somebody. It's like, how do you start that conversation? Because I, I got I can't. I have a hard time. I shouldn't say I can't. <laughs> I have a hard time doing it. Like, how do you? Where I do you start? Know. I don't know. It, it's you know, it's right time and place and context too. But 
my wife and I joke because she's a very extroverted person. We're just the opposite, which works beautifully. But going to uh, some kind of social gathering, I will typically get four feet in the door, and that's where I'll camp all night, and I will find one person to spend the whole night with. Okay. You know, and so it's it's sort of a process, um, and it's it's not only built on the questions you ask, it's also built on, I think, the quality of your own self-disclosures. You know, so I, I think it's largely built on to a quality of sort of transparency, sort of the willingness to be open on your part. You, uh, I don't mind you knowing things about me that are not what I would have chosen. Mm. And, and um, such as you are, you speak to those things that I don't mind you knowing, and I, and I receive the good thing that you intended. You know, it's, and then at some point we reciprocate, which is you don't mind me knowing that something about you and your life is not what you would have chosen. And such as I am, I speak to that thing that you revealed in your transparency and you receive the good thing I intended. There's a, so there's a process there that's built on both disclosure and transparency as well as then the kind of attention you pay to another human being, the kind of focusing on you setting setting myself aside and but you know it's 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 a it's a fascinating process um and we're not claiming i'm not claiming to achieve this in any right, consistent yeah. way but it there is uh nothing that edifies me more personally than to have that conversation with somebody yeah i the word that you kept using was um Transparency. Yeah, transparency. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. We just kept using transparency, and I think um, just so often, what I'll the, like, if you're gonna ruin a conversation with me, make me think you're posing, you know, like that you're <laughs> posturizing. Exactly. You know that like there's something else there. I I just and maybe it's something I need to work on, but I I just have an immediate disdain for that. Just mm-hmm. like what what do you? It's almost like you really think that little of me that that I'm gonna right. react poorly to. Um, to what, to what you're doing, and then I, I mean, I do it sometimes too. But um, you know, when when you're around, like you see, when a big man walks through the door, all of a sudden you square your shoulders. You know, when when a child walks through the door, <laughs> you know, you soften. Like, and there's something to that, but there's also, um, you got to really look at that and say, you know, am I presenting myself transparently, or mm-hmm. am I trying to make you think I am whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a big one for me. That's something I had to learn. Well, it's it's complicated, right? Because yeah. there's a lot of interest in among communication thinkers about the issue of role. And so when I switch from one role to another, one context to another in a legitimate way, it does tend to bring out a whole different set of characteristics and, and traits. And it isn't necessarily that I'm being false by responding to my children, small children, let's say, differently than my colleagues. But um, and, you, and you can see this in the life of Christ. You can see different qualities that come in different contexts. But but there's certainly we want there to be a core to who we are, and that is being communicated throughout. I one of the key verses. It's such a simple verse. Um, it must be in Thessalonians, one of the two. But it just simply says, "Let us let us throw off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another." It just says, "Let's give up the act." I mean, what are we pretending for? You know, we both know what we are in our flesh, you and I. We both know who we are in Christ. So what in the world are we performing? 
you know, yeah. is the idea. But but not to necessarily assume there's something hypocritical about different roles calling on different things yeah. out of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. So, um, what are your like? Do you have any go tos? Like, what you talk about that? Like, if you could steer the conversation, if you get a chance to steer the conversation, do you ever steer it toward anything in particular? Um, kind of in a way. I, I've just, I've recently kind of formulated it this way. Um, as a communicator, the two things I want: one is a robust understanding of the human condition, so a robust understanding of what puppy people, what people go through, uh, what they're like inside. Um, and then secondly, a robust understanding of what Jesus has to do with that right here, right now, in this moment. You know, the application of his magnificent gospel to whatever that particular thing is. And what I've been formulating kind of recently is that it isn't an inexhaustible list of things that I want to be able to talk to people about. That it kind of, in a way, reduces, and I could be wrong, and my, my thoughts will continue to to evolve i'm sure but four things one is do you know that you're loved one is do you you know that is the issue of having through christ the relationship that you cannot lose he will never leave you in my foolishness i could leave him but he will never be the one and so secondly is the issue of do you know that your life matters and so that's the question of meaning and i i've written someplace your life is meaningful in this jesus says it means something to me you know, a cup of cold water given in my name. You'll never lose your reward. And so mm-hmm. there's meaning. The third one, and I can't even rank these, but it's the issue of identity. It is, do you know who you are? Do you, Have you really grasped? Are you still grasping who you are to him? That is this, this identity that nothing can touch, that isn't vulnerable, that as a man, you don't have something at stake to perform every day. Your whole sense of who you are is not in the balance when you know who you are. And uh, the fourth issue, someplace in the mix, is I think it's the issue of control. That is, the things that matter the most to me are not in my control, and that either terrifies me or that liberates me. And the closer I am drawn through sound teaching and Lutheran theology, the closer I'm drawn to the heart of God revealed in Christ, the more I can say to not be in control of the things that matter most means that I am free because because he is, and not in a cliche way, but in a deeply rooted optimism in, in my God, in Christ. He's unspeakably good and can be trusted absolutely and utterly. And so, um, so the big picture here is it's not, and maybe there are more items that will join me on list as I keep thinking, but it's not an inexhaustible list of things that, you know, as people talk about their struggles and talk about their anxieties, that it, one of those is going to be triggered eventually. Mm-hmm. And um, and then it, to me, I mean, as a communicator, quiet as it might be, it's it's just the greatest joy in life to to learn how to apply the love of Christ, his forgiveness robustly to whatever that person's inward reality has become. And so, yeah, what was the question? I've kind of lost track of uh, it. <laughs> what do you talk, like, do you have any go-to topics? Okay, the, so go-to topics, yeah. yeah. I, I, uh, I'm borrowing this from somebody, I can't even remember who, but he used this example of talking to, he's a pastor, talking to a young girl, and she... Um, 
she's depressed and anxious. Why? Because the boys don't like her. And as the pastor talks with her, it's clear that she's a Christian, truly a Christian. There's no, we're not questioning that at all. But it, his diagnosis is sort of that, as, as true as that is, that the boys mean more. They're 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 more real to her. Oh, they're they're just more real. And so, the issue I often find myself lately talking to people about is just the core question of the orientation of your heart. What is what is your heart prize? What is it that you can't, cannot contemplate living without? What is it that makes life worth living? What is, what is the ultimate thing? And, you know, anything we put in that spot, but Christ, of course, is going to, as somebody has said, eat us alive, you know. Um, so, but the reality is that I can't give Christ that highest place of honor i i can't i it's not a matter of willpower it really is a matter of hearing the gospel it really is a matter of becoming ever more deeply absorbed in the gospel and what it means that god sent his son and put himself on the cross in my place and then rose that he is he's claiming that place in my life so augustine called this the ordering of loves which just says it's you know a lot of people are talking about this nowadays and so probably could use some sort of critique theologically too the whole idea here but but there's something definitely there I, I love my wife i love my work i do i love lots of things it's the problem is not that it's when things are out of order i put my family first i will destroy them you know i put my my yeah. work first i'll destroy myself probably yeah yeah. You know, and so it's the way I've thought about this as a Lutheran Christian is it's it's um it's sort of like what what is the old self, this old Adam and what is the new self in me, this Christ in me, what are they fighting over? So what is the struggle in a sense all about? It really I think it is about that ultimate thing that in Christ my soul has found its object of worship and the one that frees and liberates and the object of worship alone that as death as, as death comes closer i'm 55 i'm having mm. senior coffee now you know <laughs> that death is bringing to me the thing that i've learned to say all along is what my life is about anything else you put in that place is going to destroy you you know but only christ and so um i just think that there's a a resilience in that there's a clarity in that the ability to give up some things i need to give up in my life to forsake certain things i should forsake whatever resentments or anxieties um have become part of my inwardness you know the clarity of who who my heart treasures what is life what is my life for what can i not live without you know what is more real to me i, I think in a way paul's saying Apostle Paul saying in Ephesians 3, if we could only know what is beyond knowing. I think he's maybe talking about that. Um, Christ by the Spirit in our baptism. Um, I, I don't know the fresh way to say this now. <laughs> how wide, how long, how high, how deep. is yeah. he, wants, he just wants us to know this. He said, if you only knew, if you only knew how this would fill you. Yeah. And so, as I say, uh, kind of a resilience, uh, the ability to forsake certain things, uh, 
all kind of built on on Paul saying, "I want to know Christ." If we can understand what Paul is trying to say there, yeah, he, absolutely, yeah. So anyway, boy, that's a solilo- yeah. soliloquy there. That was awesome. <laughs> no, and then you, like you said, like there's there might not be a fresh way to say it, but uh, there's a book. It's called The Last Lecture. I can't remember who wrote it. But it was a he was actually an atheist, but he was a professor, a college professor who was dying of cancer, and he like actually got to give his last lecture because they they had like a lecture circuit, and they the theme was like this is if you're so they'd get these professors and say if this was your if you knew this was your last lecture you know it would be and they actually got him then to do a last lecture like two weeks before he died which mm-hmm. is crazy, mm-hmm. um and the video is out there and the book is awesome but he talked about that in the in the lecture was. Don't be afraid of cliches. Like, don't tr- you don't have to be fresh all the time. The reason it's a cliche is that it's true, or th- at least that it's meaningful. And people kept saying it, and that's why it became cliche. Certainly. That's Certainly. what that's what I was thinking of. But you spoke right to. So when you started, you were talking about uh, the idea that um, Christ should be the the most real thing in my life. Christ should be the center of my life, and I was super convicting right away. And I was about to comment that, and then you launched right into. Um, but he never really will be. And the image, imagery that popped into my head right away, and this is definitely not a perfect picture, but the imagery that popped into my head right away was the idea of, like, you jump on a horse and you ride it till it dies. And then what is our first reaction? Jump up, grab another horse, ride it till it dies, you know? And so, like, one horse is labeled, for me, like, one horse is labeled weightlifting. One horse is labeled teaching. One, you know, horse is labeled podcasting. One horse is labeled my beard, you know, like <laughs> all the things that suddenly become way more important to me than anything else in the world. And eventually like you're going to ride that horse out. Yeah. Like you're going to break the horse and it's just like standing in the background the whole time, ready to go is Jesus right there. He says, yeah. And it's not like, he's not frustrated. Like, like I would be, you know, he's just is patient waiting, waiting to embrace me. Exactly. And so it's, it's the clarity of Paul saying, for me to live is Christ. It's just, it doesn't, it's not the end of the struggle. It's not the end of foolishness by any means, but it's a clarity about what the struggle is about. Yeah. For me to live is, you know, anything else you put in that spot, it's going to be, it's going to be, well, what what Lutheran Christians, Lutheran Christians call the theology of glory. Mm-hmm. It is just, it is just the, the desire to be somebody on our own terms, just the desire to be somebody and just, uh, you know, again, on our own steam. And it's it's really reaching, it's called the theology of glory because we're reaching for glory for ourselves, you know. And to, to discover <laughs> how necessary it is for that to just crash and burn again, um, whatever that might mean, Whatever yeah, humiliation, whatever failure, needs to happen. Yeah, because when that crashes and burns, is when I find myself um, growing up into the theology of the cross. God, God doing His best things, as He did in Christ, doing His best things in the midst of weakness and despair and apparent defeat. So for me, I will, my best things will be what I find under that cross, as my whole heart is is finally turned toward God. And again, cue the identity issue. Now I, fi- now I find out who I am. But that, that needing to be somebody had to crash and burn. And it does again and again and again. It is, as you're saying, we don't really grow out of the foolishness. It's, it's, um, it's what the battle between old and new is really about. I, uh, I 
theologian of the cross I read recently, Gerhard Ford or Forty, I'm not sure, <laughs> F-O-R-D-E, <laughs> he just has this great line that says, God makes a man nothing. God makes a man nothing means he, he brings a man to the end of his own ability, the end of his own efforts, the end of his own thinking, brings him to the futility of all of that, all of that trying to be somebody in my way. Like Solomon. So, yeah, oh, Solomon tried everything. Yeah. He, he, he went way down the path in every way. And and so it's God makes a man nothing. And then he loves the nothing that he's made. He loves the nothing that he's made by revealing Christ again to that man. And, and um, uh, another writer has a whole book of sermons, and the last page is just this crescendo of, it is an honor to owe everything to Christ. And as you, as you read through all the agony that gets him to that last page, <laughs> it just it becomes an unforgettable crescendo. It's an honor to owe everything to Christ um, and to know what he means by that. Yeah. You know. So. Cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> all right. So, um, man, it's so good. Thank you. This is it's awesome. Nice, nice to be here. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so if if somebody wants to start pursuing this a little bit, do you have any like good basic first steps? Like, if if I want to improve my own interpersonal communication, improve the relationships I have with people around me, what are some good first steps to take? I think that I think that there is no substitute for a good relationship. And, you know, this is what I would pray for, for any listener that you have that doesn't have this in his life right now. I mean, there's just no substitute for one good, wholesome, godly relationship in which Christ is the spoken of freely and openly in that relationship. Um, I, there just isn't a book or three-ring binder or mm-hmm. podcast, frankly, <laughs> that I could yeah. suggest that would match up to that. Um Beyond that, I feel like I feel like there's sort of a dearth of resources. I think that they are yet to be created that a young person would look to and just say, "How do I communicate?" There's there's thousands and thousands of books, but I don't happen to know of the one okay. know, that I would recommend necessarily. Okay. All right. Cool. Thanks for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can find more episodes like this on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, the podcast app, and Pippa. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us on Instagram at Time to Gird Up. You can find us on Facebook at the Gird Up Podcast. Or if you want to email me, you can email me at Coach Ungemach, that's U-N-G-E-M-A-C-H, at gmail.com. Please leave a five-star rating and review on this podcast on iTunes. The more four- and five-star ratings we receive, the more people we will reach on iTunes because iTunes will boost us more. Thank you to Seth Palmeyer for our podcast art. And thank you to you, the listener, because without you, this podcast would not be possible. So with that, I encourage you to go out, man up, gird up, and become the men that God has created us to be. Have a good one.